This morning I want to speak to you about growing in our Christian life. Uh, All living things grow. And I would say there's no one more alive on earth than the follower of Jesus. We are not just physically alive. We are also spiritually alive. Before we knew Jesus, we were spiritual corpses. We were born dead in our sins. We were totally lifeless. There was no life of God in us. That's the natural condition of everyone. We were bound for hell with the rest of humanity. But God, by his grace, you see, changed the direction of our life. He made us alive like the Lord made Lazarus alive. He removed the clothes of sin. He gave us a new righteous clothes dipped in the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed on the cross. He gave us faith to repent and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we stand in Christ, holy and spotless before God, not covered in the filth and stench and dirtiness of our sins. If we trust in Jesus, that's our position. We stand alive and growing, not dead and decaying. So that's our condition now in Christ. And the question we we have to then ask is, what does it mean for us to grow in our new life in Christ? We know we are alive. What does it mean for us to then grow? Because living things grow. So what does that look like? And and that's a question I want us to look at this morning. And so look with me there at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 10. Paul says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I just want to remind you the context of the text, as you should be familiar by now. For those of you who have been with us, Paul is writing to new believers at Colossae. He has never met these believers before. And he wants to reassure them that they are true Christians. That's his goal. And at the start of the letter, he gives them two reasons why he believes they are legit. They are true believers. First, they have fruit to show for it. And we looked at that in verse 3 to verse 5. Where he says he's thankful to God for them. The three fruits, right? The fruit of faith, of love, and hope in Christ. That's the first reason they have fruits to show for it. The second reason, we looked at it last Sunday evening. And it is this. Their spiritual fruit is growing in the soil of the gospel. They have received the gospel as a word of truth. The word of grace. And because it's a word of grace, it's a word of life. It has given life to them. Their Christian life is built on the foundation of the gospel. But Paul is not just writing to reassure them that they are Christians. He wants to positively encourage them, you see, to continue growing in their new life in Christ. Because all living things grow. And so after Paul tells them about their new life in Christ and the fruits they have, in in verse 3 to 8, in verse 9 to 14, he starts praying for them to grow. So verse 9 to 14 is a prayer. 
And this, this morning, I want us to look at the first section of this prayer, verse 9 to 10, and in the evening, we'll look at the second section. So the message is actually, <laughs> it is a two-part sermon. And I encourage you to come this evening to listen to the second part. In verse 9 to 10, Paul wants to teach us, I think, just two truths I want us to draw from verse 9 to 10 about growing in our Christian life. Two truths. The first truth on your outline is this. All followers of Christ are meant to grow in being like Christ. That's the first thing. Followers of Christ are meant to grow in what? In being like Christ. We are meant to keep growing in our spiritual life, not just growing, but growing specifically to be like Christ. Paul describes this growth, doesn't he, in verse 9 to 10, as growing to be in a life that is worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9 there. And so from the day we heard, we have no cease to pray for you. What is he praying? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, you know, spiritual wisdom and understanding. We'll come back to these verses later. But here is the goal. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul is saying to the Colossians, we are constantly praying for you to keep growing and knowing what God wants for you so that you can grow to live a successful Christian life. How does a successful Christian life look like? Well, it is living in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then we ask, what does Paul mean by this phrase, living in a manner worthy of the Lord? Well, two things. The first thing to note is that the Lord in verse 10 is the Lord in verse 3. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing to note is that this is not the only place that Paul uses this phrase, usually quite often. Uh, and for example, he uses it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. He's speaking there of the gospel. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and, I, and see you or I'm absent, he's telling the, the church at Philippi, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul is not saying, therefore, whether in Philippians or, or, or in Colossians, he's not saying that we can do anything to make ourselves end Christ or the gospel. We, is, by saying live worthy of Christ, he's not saying we, we can make Christ save us. That's not what he means. Paul is saying that we should live lives a life consistent with who Christ is. Our living at all times should seek to reflect and honor Christ as our Lord. That's what it means to live a life worthy of Christ. Now, there's a story, there's an old story about um, Alexander the Great, uh, the Macedonian king and world conqueror in the 4th century BC. You may have heard of it. And one of his military missions, a young man runs away from the army, Alexander's army, and is brought before Alexander the Great. And so the king asks him, first of all, what is your name? That's what the king asks, what is your name? And the man answers the king, he says, my name is Alexander. And so Alexander hears this, he's furious, he's annoyed. And so he asks him again, say again, what is your name? And the man says again, my name is Alexander. And that's when Alexander the Great turns to him and says to him, 
Soldier, change your behavior or change your name. You see, what Alexander was saying is that he valued his name so highly because he's called Alexander. He valued it so highly that he expected all who shared his name to live worthy of that name. Consistent with Alexander's own life. That's Alexander the Great. So it's not then a surprise, is it? That the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, also expects all who claim his name as Christians to live worthy of his name. In chapter 3, the Apostle Paul puts it like this in Colossians 3 verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. That, in short, is living worthy of Christ. It is making sure that every detail of our life is a reflection and honor to Christ. In short, it is growing to be like Christ in words, thoughts, and actions. It is living for God as Christ would live if he was doing your job if he was, as, as it were, a spouse in your marriage, as if, if, he was, if he was a member of the church, if he was a British citizen or whatever citizenship you owed, it is living, if he, was a, if he was a granddad in your shoes or a grandma in your shoes, it is living as Christ would live in your shoes. That is living a life that is worthy of him. And this is the life Christ wants for us because it is pleasing to him. Let's not miss that. Verse 10 to verse 7 to verse 10 there. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Isn't it? Fully pleasing to him. Paul is saying when we grow to be more like Christ... It pleases Christ. It delights the Lord. Of course we've read that many times. Of course we have. But I wonder, have you thought about just how profound that is? When we are becoming like Christ, it pleases Christ. That is amazing because of who Christ is. In Colossians, I'll keep reminding you who Christ is because it's right in front of you. Verse 15 to verse 20 defines Christ. Christ is God. He's self-sufficient. Christ, our God, has all the joy and delight within himself. You're not doing him a favor by living for him. He has everything he needs. In fact, he has no needs. He has all the joy and delight within himself as the eternal son of God. And yet here we're being taught a mystery, aren't we? We make Christ smile when we grow to be like him. The impossible has become possible for us in Christ. God in Christ has made it possible for us to bring him, as one of the modern carols say, pleasure and delight. Hearts that now say, thank you, Lord. Help us to bring you pleasure and delight, one of the hymns say. 
And that's a profound thought. When I always think about it, some of the modern hymns are a bit theologically weak, but that is quite a profound thought. Help us to bring you pleasure and delight. The impossible becomes possible in Christ. And that's amazing grace. Remember, that is amazing grace for us to bring pleasure and delight to God. It's a mystery, but it's also amazing grace at the same time. The Almighty God allows us, finite and fallen creatures, to please and delight Him. In our growing to be like Christ. I mean, praise the Lord. There's no other way of putting it. Now, if growing in being like Christ pleases our Lord, then the big question for us this morning is, how do we know we are growing in being like Christ? Now, Paul gives us two pieces of evidence, doesn't he, here? First, the more we grow to be like Christ, the more we grow to being fruitful. Verse 10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. What Paul is saying is, as we grow to be more like Christ, our lives will show spiritual fruit that will reflect that we truly belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will reflect in the work we're doing, we do for God. Every area we, in every area of our life, it's good work because it's being done with the spiritual fruits accompanied by that. We, we have already looked at some of the spiritual fruits, haven't we? Verse 3 to 5 has taught us the fruits of, we should expect, of faith, of love, and hope. And as we read on in Colossians, Paul gives us more spiritual fruits. For example, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 17, he lists those fruits there. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 5 to 6, you can look up that also, list some of the fruits we should expect. And of course, we know of Galatians, chapter, uh, the, the, the chapter in Galatians that lists the spiritual fruits. The entire Bible, the New Testament especially, lists all kinds of spiritual fruits we should see in our lives. The point is this, the more we become like Christ, the more fruitful we are. That's the first piece of evidence. The second evidence is that the more we grow in being like Christ, is that we, we grow in increasing in knowing God. Don't miss uh, how verse 10 ends. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, if you come to some of our Bible studies, which we've done online, you know that there, there are two words, there are two original words for knowledge, right? Well, Lord likes this because we discuss it often. So one word for knowledge is gnosis, which simply means enlightenment or insight into something. The other word for knowledge is epignosis, which means full, intimate, and personal knowledge. Which word is Paul using here? Right. The word Paul is using is epignosis. He's saying as we grow in being like Christ, we grow in direct, deep, intimate, and personal knowledge of God. We become filled in every area of our life with who God is. And as we... And as that is happening, we begin to, of course, bear more fruit for Christ in everything we do. And so what Paul is saying is this. All followers of Christ are meant to grow in being like Christ. And the evidence that we are growing in being like Christ is both inside and outside. Right? Inside, we are growing in this intimate intimacy with God and knowing God more and delighting in God. This is something that's taking place inside our hearts. 
We have hearts that yearn for God. Yearn to be like Christ. That's inside. Outside, we see the fruit, don't we? Things that people can see in our lives. We are growing in love, in faith, and, and, and in, in hope in the gospel and other fruits of the Spirit. Like patience and joy, which we look at this evening. That's the dynamic, inside and outside evidence, that we are going to become more like Christ. Now, as I thought about this, It became clear to me that every true believer knows something of this truth. If you're a true follower of Jesus, you have an inner drive inside of you to live for Christ. Now, we're not always aware of it, but it is there at the back of our mind. It's one of the evidences that we are converted. We often say quietly to ourselves, I know I must grow to be like Jesus. I want to love and serve and please Christ more. I want to know how I can grow to be more like him. It's there. That inner impulse is put in us by God the Spirit. And if you have that, just to encourage you, that is evidence that you truly converted. If you don't have it, you're not. And this inner impulse is the reason we read our Bibles. It is the reason we pray. It is the reason after a tired, tired, you know, difficult week, we still try, if we can, to gather for worship. It is the reason we prioritize taking the Lord's Supper. It is the reason why we got baptized in the first place. We want to be like Jesus, obey him through the waters of baptism. It is the reason that no matter how far we drift from God, and we do, no matter how far we drift from God and how long we drift from God and his church, we find ourselves back at his feet, pleading with him to grow us in Christ. It's that inner impulse, you see, put in us by the Holy Spirit. So I'm saying to you something that should already resonate with your own experience. Now, the problem is that even though there is this inner impulse to become more like Christ, you and I know if you're truly converted that we often falter. We are not, in the words of John Newton, what we should be. We know that God wants us to become more like Christ. We get it. We really do. And at the heart of hearts, that's what we also want. But we often find ourselves struggling, don't we, to live it out in practice. As one of the hymn writers says, we are prone to wonder, prone to live the God we love. In fact, it is much worse than that. There are moments in our lives when we lose complete focus of becoming like Christ. There are seasons in life when this impulse becomes very faint. It doesn't disappear, but it becomes very faint. And Peter warns against this, isn't he, in 2 Peter chapter 1. There are seasons when we are suddenly not focused on becoming like our beautiful Savior. Shocking! But there are seasons. And perhaps this morning you are in one of those seasons. And so you must ask yourself, what causes this? What causes it? Well, one reason is simply that life happens to us. We keep getting hit by one problem after another. We experience trials of all kinds. We lose our job. We suffer bereavement. We become unwell. 
We have people in our lives we really love and care about that are that really unwell. And that pulls us down. People we trust, we've trusted, let us down. Name it, and we've all been slapped in the face with it. That's life, isn't it? And these things, of course, can leave us tired and spiritually disoriented. We start to forget that we have a new life with the amazing privilege of bringing pleasure and delight to Christ by becoming like Christ. We forget that. And of course, we also forget that Christ has not abandoned us in our struggles. In fact, the Bible says that, this is 1 Peter, isn't it? 1 Peter chapter 4, I think. Peter makes it very clear that in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our pain, Christ is at work in us. He's working through that difficult situation. Because that's our calling, isn't it? 1 Peter 2. Christ suffered not only as the atonement for our sins, but he suffered as our example. To this you have been called, says Peter. So in the middle of our trial, you see, is where God is at work to make us more like Christ. But we forget that, of course, don't we? In the middle of the trial, it doesn't feel like that's what's happening. And so what happens is that we become discouraged, don't we? We, we lose our focus. So suffering and trials is one reason we lose focus of growing to be like Christ. The other reason is simply that we are sinners living in a sinful world. I tend to think of Satan as a, as a, as a complex chess grandmaster uh, who knows how to lay down clever and complicated traps, gambits, that traps us in sin, and he makes us fall in it. Don't underestimate him. Our enemy knows our weaknesses. And he's constantly working to exploit them. Sin and suffering, those two things, make it hard for us to live with this razor-sharp focus of becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus. But imagine if you decided today that I'll give myself afresh to Christ to, so that he can make me grow to be more like him. Imagine if you decided today that this could have again be a fresh priority for you in your life, to become more like Christ. What difference would that make to your life? Well, simply put, the more you grow to be like Jesus, the more you grow in living a fulfilled and a happy life in Christ. No one has ever lived a more fulfilled and joyful life than our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ lived a sinless life. He did not experience the misery and emptiness that sin brings in our lives. He lived in unbroken union and fellowship with his Father. And so the more we grow to be like Christ, the more we grow in holiness and fellowship with God, and the more fulfilled and joyful we become like Christ himself. Don't you want to be like the Nazarene? Don't you? Of course you do. Well, give yourself afresh. Don't you? Give yourself afresh to, to God to grow you. Because you see, if you don't make growing to be like Christ your priority in your life, if you make all these other things you've got in your life 
You know, your work, your parenting, this and that. If those are the things that dominates you, well, you're cheating yourself. You're robbing yourself of true happiness, true joy. Because only by putting Christ first can you grow to be fulfilled in life. And the good news is this, you see, you don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to do it on your own. And this is the second point. Because we grow to become like Christ with God's help. And that's the second truth. The first truth is followers of Christ are meant to grow in being like Christ. How do we do it? Well, the good news is this. Growing in being like Christ is the work of God in our lives. This is the key point Paul is making in verse 9. Look at verse 9 again. This is our second point. Uh, Look at verse 9. And so from the day we heard, Paul says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What Paul is saying is simply this. We have heard from Epaphras, um, all that that the gospel has changed your life, And we want you to keep growing to be like Christ. But we know you cannot do it on your own, Paul is saying. You need the boundless resources of God. And that's why Timothy and I are constantly on our knees begging God continuously on your behalf. We want God to grow you through his spiritual resources. That's what verse 9 to 10 is saying. And so from the day we heard, he says... We have not ceased. That means, it doesn't mean he never stops praying as such. It means he's continually praying for them. He has them on his mind. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, what is the will of God here? Well, we said that. We discussed that in verse 1, didn't we? Verse 1 mentions that. In verse 1 we said, the will of God is basically what God wants. Paul is an apostle by the will of God. Right? The will of God is the purposes and intentions of God. In fact, we can say, in short, it is the very mind of God. And Paul here, though, mentions another word, knowledge. We've just discussed knowledge. Epignosis. It's the same word for knowledge in verse 9 as in verse 10. As I said earlier, it's the intimate and personal and direct knowledge of God. So what does this all mean for us? Well, what Paul is saying here is that Paul is saying he's praying to God that they will be filled, that they will be enveloped with God so that they can be of one mind with God, know what God wants. Paul is saying unless you are filled with the mind of God, unless you know that you're filled with God himself, his knowledge and his wisdom, you cannot know what God wants. You cannot do what God wants. And so he prays for this. He prays as they grow in knowing God, they will easily draw on the infinite and boundless resources of God's wisdom and understanding by His Holy Spirit. What is wisdom? Well, wisdom is applied knowledge, isn't it? Paul here is saying, notice, all spiritual wisdom and knowledge. Why does he call this spiritual world? Because it comes down from God the Holy Spirit. And we know that's what Paul means. As in mind here, the Holy Spirit giving wisdom and knowledge because, look at verse 8. 
This is why it's great to go through the Bible verse by verse because it just interprets itself. In verse 8, there Paul is talking about of their love in the Spirit, isn't it? The Colossians are bearing fruit by the Holy Spirit. So in verse 9 and 10, Paul is saying, we need God, the Holy Spirit, to help us know what God wants us to do in every situation and give us practical help to do it. How does God, the Holy Spirit, do this? Well, he does it in two ways. First of all, God, the Holy Spirit, does it directly to us. He lives in us and he directly helps us without any intermediation. We know that because of John 14, verse 25 to 26. It is why the Lord Jesus sent the Spirit. He says, these things are spoken to you while I am with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, wow, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. In fact, if you read John 14, verse 25, 26, you, 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 you should be able to see there that the Holy Spirit's job is to make us live a life worthy of Christ because it's being sent in the name of Christ. And so his job is to make us become more and more like Christ. And he does this directly, isn't it? To provide help directly as the helper. Secondly, the Holy Spirit does it directly in the sense of it grows, well, it does it indirectly, I should say, in the sense that he uses all the means of grace that God has given his people to strengthen us. So God, the Holy Spirit, accompanies the reading and the preaching of God's word. He, he, of course, he's the one who inspired the word of God as a deposit of understanding and wisdom to help us grow. But he also opens our minds, not only to hear it, but to understand it and apply the word of God. God, the Holy Spirit, is our word through our prayers, isn't it? He encourages not only to pray for wisdom, is the carrier of our prayers to God. We do not know how to pray. The Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us, including prayers for wisdom. The Holy Spirit is also at work through the gathered church. He gives us spiritual gifts of wisdom, of knowledge and discernment in the life of the church. God, the Holy Spirit is at work through followers of Christ to grow us in wisdom and knowledge. We need the church to help us grow because the Holy Spirit is at work in the church. And so here is the bottom line. The bottom line is this, what Paul is saying. Growing to be like Christ is not something we do in our strength. It is something that God does by his power alone. And that is why Paul is on his knees. He is praying. He is praying because he knows that unless he prays for them, wow, they may flounder, they may falter in their work. They'll still grow, but they'll start faltering. Paul knows, you see, that God can do anything, okay, he wants. But he, prayer is the means through which he has ordained to get help to us. God wants us to pray before he gives things to us. As Thomas Watson says, prayer is the key of heaven, right? Faith is the hand that turns it. It is as we pray for growth that God makes us to become more like Christ. No follower of Christ is greater than their prayer life. As Robert Mary McShane once said, what a man is on his knees before God 
that he is and nothing more. When God wants to grow us spiritually, what he does is he gives us first the first to pray for it. He grows our prayer. And this, this means if you're not praying continuously in your life, the truth is that you are not growing to be like Christ as God has designed you to be growing. If we're not praying fervently, we're not drawing on the spiritual resources God has made available for us. And as a result, if we're not growing to be like Christ, then we are robbing ourselves of true joy in life. Now, the problem is this, is that many of us do not realize how important continuous prayer is for our spiritual health in becoming more like Christ. And that is why we hardly pray, isn't it, many of us? So the first thing we must do, we must do three things today. First of all, I want to leave you with three things. First of all, you must repent of your prayerlessness. That's the first thing. Repent of your prayerlessness. And this means repenting of the sin that is at the root of your prayerlessness. Why do you not pray contingently as Paul is doing here for the Colossians? Because we're self-reliant. We think we're just going to grow in Christ anyway. We're not as helpless as we should be. A needy heart is a praying heart, isn't it? Helplessness is at the heartbeat of prayer. It is the true heartbeat of prayer. We are prone to forget that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And so we need to repent of that self-dependency so that we can grow in praying more to God to make us like Christ. That's the first thing we need to do, repentance. The second thing we need to do is to be intentional in asking other people around us in the church to pray for us specifically to grow to be like Christ. The Colossians needed Paul and Timothy to continuously pray for them. That's the application of this passage. And you and I need others here to pray for us to grow in Christ. You cannot grow on your own. Even on your own prayers. You need other believers to make it a priority to pray for you to grow. Now, many of us here struggle to ask other believers to pray for issues we are battling with in our lives. even, Even I struggle with that. If you are like that, This passage is both a relief and it's also humbling. It is saying the top priority for prayer in your life is in fact not your personal sensitive issues. The top thing you need other people to pray for for you is to grow to become more like that, like Christ. That's humbling because we have a lot of personal issues we want to prioritize others to pray for. But it is also a relief, isn't it? We don't have to <laughs> share everything that's going on. But we can make this prayer request an easy one. You can turn to the person next to you and say, pray for me to become more like Christ. I don't have to go into details, but it's a real need I have right now. But strangely enough, we don't often hear this prayer request in the life of the church. I thank God that I've heard it one or two, hopefully, among us say, 
Please pray for me to grow in looking to Christ more. I need that especially now. That's so encouraging. And I encourage you to keep doing that for those of you who've done it in the past. But we, we, we need, because we need to hear more of such requests. Because it's exactly the prayer request the Lord expects us to give to grow in being like Christ. And let us strive to pray for others in this way as well. A lot of us struggle like, oh, I don't know what to be praying for. I don't really know them that well. I don't pray That's great. But Colossians 1, 9 to, 14, 9, 9 to 12 is that. Here's your template on what to pray for. There's no excuse for saying, I didn't pray for you this week because I didn't know what to pray for. Well, it's here. Pray for them to become more like Christ with the words of this passage. That's the second thing. The third and final thing I just want to say is that what we must do. So first of all, repentance. Let's get our second thing is let's be intentionally asking others to pray for us to grow to be like Christ. The third and final thing is that meditate regularly on the good news of Jesus. To cultivate your prayerlessness. Your, no, no, not your prayerlessness. To cultivate, I told you it will happen. To cultivate your helplessness before God, right? To cultivate your helplessness before God. Uh, it is no accident, and this is why I love us going through the Bible verse by verse, because we're looking back to what Paul is, what's been driving Paul, right? Well, it's no, ex, no, it's no accident that Paul starts his prayer in verse 9, after reminding the Colossians in verse 5 to 8, that the gospel is the foundation of our life. It is the word of truth, it is the word of grace, and it is the word of life. Paul himself is anchored in the gospel, you see. And, and I think what he's telling us, therefore, is that if we are growing, if we are, we, we are going to, to, to continue growing in continuous prayer to God for us, is, is, is by first of all, keep reminding ourselves of this gospel that we have heard and we have understood. Because that's the way we grow in realizing that we need prayer in the first place. Keep reminding yourself that you are still a wretched sinner saved by grace alone. That you need his grace to make it every day. Keep reminding yourself you're not a grace graduate, right? Keep reminding yourself that in Christ you have free and permanent access to the only powerful person in the universe, the Almighty God. Keep reminding yourself that because of Christ, God our Father is always ready to receive you in his presence. He's ready to hear Abba, Father, from you. Keep reminding yourself that in Christ, God loves you. Every day is bearing up your burdens. Every minute is caring for you. Every second is showering you with his love in Christ. Remind yourself of these things. Remind yourself that in Jeremiah, God has boldly declared his love to you in Christ. He has said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Remind yourself that in Isaiah, he powerfully assures you, doesn't he? Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Remind yourself of this truth. And then go boldly to him to ask for all the help you need to grow in being like Christ. And he says, if you pray according to my will, I will answer you. Well, this is the will of God, isn't it? It's stated here, verse 9 to verse 12. So go to him. 
He will answer you. Here is a prayer God will answer. To grow you in being more like Christ. So then just to summarize and end. What have we learned this morning? Well, we have learned that all followers of Christ are meant to grow in being like Christ. We cannot do this. But we cannot do this in our own power. Growing in being like Christ is the work of God. And that's why we need to repent of our prayerlessness. We need to be more intentional in asking others to pray for us. And we need to rest in the gospel. Amen.